Our text this morning is a tomato-tomato type of message, or text, I should say. So you can either turn to Habakkuk, or you can turn to Habakkuk, whichever one you prefer. But go to Matthew, turn left, five books, and you'll find yourself in the book of Habakkuk. And we'll start with chapter 3. We'll look at verses 17 to 19 initially. Now, last week we looked into the future via our PowerPoint verse for the uh, month. As the prophet Isaiah told us about a time when wars are going to cease, Satan is going to be bound. Come on now. Satan is going to be bound. And there will be peace on earth because the prince of peace is on earth ruling and reigning in righteousness from Jerusalem. Now, we were told in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7, familiar Christmas text, but it's much broader than that, actually. The portion that applies to Christmas is very limited to these words. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. That predicts the first coming of Jesus to the earth. And then the text, the prophet immediately switches to the second coming, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now... It is only when the governing of the world falls exclusively on the shoulders of the Prince of Peace as he sits on David's throne that order and justice is going to be experienced on the earth. I ran across a group, as many of you had uh, in past weeks, standing on a corner over the weekend, holding up signs that said, no justice, no peace. Well, I've got good news and bad news for that group. And the good news is simply this, or the bad news is, there will be no justice in the world until Jesus comes back. But the good news is, Jesus is coming back, and he is coming to bring justice to the world. But even on top of that, we can have the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until Jesus comes back and he is coming soon. Now, we closed our time last week with a bit of a reality check concerning the day in which we live. And we all hope and pray that the reason that the United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy is because the rapture completely guts our country and there's nobody left here. That's our hope, right? That's our prayer. But the truth is, it is more likely that an implosion like that of the Roman Empire is going to be why the Bible is absent of many, any mention of the United States, because the Bible says it will be as it was in the last days, like it was in the days of Noah, a time where the righteous were relatively few in number and wickedness was great in all the earth, including our own country, sadly. Now, that doesn't mean we stop praying for revival. That doesn't mean we don't ask God continually for a great awakening. But it also means that we have to be like Jeremiah, 
who was like John the Baptist in that he was the voice of one crying in a time of wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And Jeremiah was crying out to the nation of Israel to repent of their sins. He was speaking truth and he was being persecuted because of it. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 5, Paul says this, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, that tells us that his audience is believers. You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say what? Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of, or nor of darkness. Now, do we just sit by and watch America implode? Absolutely not. Do we stop praying for revival and a great awakening in our land? No. Do we give up hope for America? No, absolutely not. But neither do we bury our heads in the sand, ignoring the time and season that we are in, where the day of the Lord is going to come suddenly or without notification as the world is crying out for peace and safety. Now, those words actually mean prosperity and security. Isn't that what our world is crying out for today? Prosperity and security. Some people today are saying capitalism is evil because some people have more than others under that system. The same group is saying socialism is good because everyone has the same thing. Well, what they're not realizing is that the same thing everyone has is nothing under socialism, at least except for those who are in control, who are exploiting the people who are working to support their style of living. Even with places like Venezuela and Cuba as evidence to the failings of Marxist socialism, millions of people are still violently protesting to bring this into our country. So, where's all this going? Thank you for asking. I'll tell you where it's going. Revelation 13, 4-8 says, So they worship who? The dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. This is reported also in Daniel chapter 11. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. In other words, it will be a global empire. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, this group someday is going to get what they want. But the problem is the devil is behind it. And the world is being ready through cultural Marxism today for the Antichrist who is going to receive his power from Satan himself. So knowing what we know, what do we do? We buy property in Montana, we hoard water, and we move there, right? No, 
Listen, our topic and title this morning is a phrase we have all used, but we're going to put our own spin on it like we often do with the colloquialisms of our day. And our title this morning is simply, When All Else Fails. When all else fails. Now, we understand that saying to mean, when you've tried everything and nothing works, do this. But a fail in our day means when somebody completely blows it, when they totally mess up. And I submit to you this morning that our world is completely blowing it. They are completely messing up as it pertains to the things of God. And it is because of that that the world is falling apart and that failure is all around us. We're going to find three things that are essential to our understanding and survival, if you will, and even our spiritual well-being during the last moments of church history as we start at the end of Habakkuk for the beginning of our message. We're going to look at it kind of backwards, and I'll explain why in a moment. So, are you there? How many turn to Habakkuk? How many turn to Habakkuk? All right. Stand and read whichever book you're looking at, and we'll start with verses 17 through 19 of Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, he will make my feet like deer's feet, he will make me walk on my high Hills. I'm glad that doesn't say high heels. And Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying from this very timely passage, though written uh, thousands of years ago. God, we know that there's a message for us today, as we will see. So speak to our hearts and minds. Prepare us for the day and hour in which we now live. And we thank you most of all that we are not of the night nor of the darkness and this day isn't, therefore, going to surprise us. So teach us what to do. In such a time as this, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as I said, Habakkuk is a very timely reminder for us for one reason in particular. Babylon was rising in power. Babylon was beginning its conquest of the whole of the world. It was becoming the dominant force in the world under King Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon is going to play a role in the tribulation period as well, as Revelation 17 and 18 makes mention of. And whatever your interpretation may be, whether Babylon represents an actual physical city, whether it's a world system or a spiritual Babylon, however you may view it is irrelevant because the interpretations, uh, whatever the interpretation may be, we're still in the same place Habakkuk was. Babylon is on the rise. And it is rising to its place in world power. Now, things were about to change dramatically for the world and for the Jews. Now, it's also timely for us in that the prophet vocalized very passionately his concerns to the Lord, much like we have been crying out to God on behalf of these United States of America. Now, Habakkuk said in the opening verses of chapter 1, Two to four specifically, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you 
violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arising. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk says, God, the world is filled with violence. I'm crying out to you on behalf of the land. Sinful things are happening in my country that I never imagined I would ever see. Looting and rioting is taking place all around me. There's strife and contention in the land. It's almost like he could have written this today. He's saying, nobody respects your word. That's what he means by the law is powerless. Lawlessness was abounding in his day. Is lawlessness abounding in our day? And therefore, he says, there's only, because your law is not the authority, there's only a perversion of justice because the wicked are surrounding the righteous. Now, it's kind of interesting that he mentions a plundering There's plundering and violence before me. In other words, I'm seeing this taking place all around. And the curious thing about this is the word plundering can be translated as social sin. Are we seeing sins against society today? Okay, do I need to give you some examples? It's all around us. And listen, we're going to visit some of the other similarities in the time of Habakkuk and ours. But we started at the end of the book for a reason. Habakkuk begins the book with worry. He winds up in worship. He starts in fear, but he winds up in faith. He begins with terror that then turns to trust. And his anguish turns into adoration for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I say we just start at the ending. In the midst of all that we're experiencing today. But most of us have been and are where he began. Where are you, Lord, in all this that's happening? This country that has founded itself on the principles of your word, that has viewed every man equal in the eyes of its creator. God, what is happening in our land? But I think it's also important that we begin at this particular point in Habakkuk because we can look at the things happening in the world and we can have compassion and empathy and sympathy for areas where cataclysmic events have struck and they burden our heart when we see a cyclone hit or a hurricane hit or an earthquake strike and all these other things. We see the floods that we have seen in recent days. All these things stir our hearts, yet none of them compare in gripping us like an economic downturn because it affects directly every household. And that's what Habakkuk is saying here. The fig tree may not blossom. There's no fruit on the vines of the uh, grape vines. The olive trees are not yielding fruit. The fields aren't bearing food. Even the livestock are cut off, a Hebraism for killed as a food source. And he says, even though in the midst of a food shortage and an economic downturn, even though there's no toilet paper at Costco, I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. Now, 
We, like Habakkuk, are crying out to God on behalf of our land, our wonderful country. And we're seeing things that we have never imagined, including good being called evil and evil being called good. And we need to do what Habakkuk did as he saw Babylon on the horizon, and that is rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of all the hardships we are experiencing. Now, what that translates into is our first point of application and reminder, and it's just this. Listen, when the world is falling apart or when all else fails, God is still our refuge and strength. God is still our refuge and strength. Now, feet like deers and walking on high hills depicts living above the circumstances, even though you're dwelling in them. And Habakkuk says, even during a major economic downturn, I will rejoice in the Lord. Can we do that too? Absolutely. Listen, the World Health Organization just came out and said a couple of days ago, you know, you've, you've all heard the phrase, you know what they say? Well, have you ever thought about the fact that if you combine the acronyms of the United Nations Organization and the World Health Organization, UNO, W-H-O, that's you-know-who. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I think it's kind of funny. You know what they say. Well, they just said that in six weeks, the whole world is going to go back on lockdown because the cases of COVID-19 have doubled globally in this past year. And yet, here we are. We have the CDC in the United States reporting that the number of deaths in our own country are less this year than they were last year. And the fact is, it's been reported by many epidemiologists and others who study such things, virologists and others, that if we had not discovered COVID-19, all we would look at this year and say, well, it was maybe a little above average flu season as far as fatalities around the world. Now, are there, who are, are there those who are trying to control us? Well, sure there are. Now, listen, COVID-19 is real. It has impacted people and people have lost their lives. Amen. We need to be sensitive to that and praying about that. But we also need to recognize that we are living in a time where there are people trying to seize control of the world in order to prepare it for the Antichrist unbeknownst to them. Now, they think they're going to be in places of power when this global system comes into being. But I've got bad news for them. No, they're not. There'll be one ruler just like Nebuchadnezzar, and he won't need any of their advice or counsel. As a matter of fact, uh, Revelation 17 says that when he does divide up the globe into its sections, it will be people who were not in places of authority until that time. So none of the world leaders who are globalists are going to play a part in what the Antichrist brings to pass and how he distributes the wealth and responsibilities of the world during that time. It will be a bunch of liars and thieves like him because he is empowered by the devil. Somebody say amen. amen. But... Paul tells us in Colossians 1, 24 to 26, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to who? His saints. Now, let me just pause for a moment and do a little doctrinal housekeeping 
It is these verses, verse 24 specifically, that the Catholic Church has created the false doctrine of purgatory, that there are sufferings after this life in order to purify us and therefore ready us for the heavenly realm. Well, the Bible says no such thing. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, according to Hebrews 9.27. There is no limbo. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present for or with the Lord. Paul is not saying that I need to suffer in order to secure my salvation. Paul is not saying there is afterlife suffering in order to obtain salvation in purgatory. Paul is simply saying that because he was a Christian, because he was in Christ, he was going to suffer like Christ did. And he would do so for the sake of the church. Since the Lord called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, a once hidden mystery that is now revealed. Now the point of Colossians is this. Paul knew that suffering was part of his experience. Habakkuk knew that suffering was coming to the nation, that God was going to deal specifically with Judah. And we should know that our nation is not going to escape the cleansing and purifying hand of God either, in some form or fashion, after the rapture of the church, or possibly even before. Now, there are wonderful things concerning the time in which we now live. It's not all bad news. Amen? Amen. It's not all bad news. As a matter of fact, we are living in a time where we should expect the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, at any moment in time. And we're going to be supernaturally translated from the physical realm into the spiritual in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We are living in a privileged time where we are watching things come to pass that thousands and millions of Christians have longed to see happen, and we live in a day that they were hoping they themselves were in. Yet in this privileged time, we need to see both sides of the prophetic coin and that Babylon is about to rise to power once again and the signs are the same as they were in Habakkuk's day. There's no justice. Justice has been perverted in our day. Good is called evil, evil is called good. There's rampant violence and social sin today. There's strife and contention today. The word of God is powerless today in that it is rejected and thus justice is a perversion of what true justice is. Now, thankfully, according to God's economy and God's justice, nobody gets off on a technicality. Amen? Now, we also need to remember what the Lord said in response to the passionate plea of Habakkuk we read in 1, 2 to 4. In 1, 5 to 7, the Lord said to the prophet, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly what? Astounded. I know that's a big word. I thought I'd help you out there. For I will work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from where? From themselves. In other words, they think they have the right to rule the world. They think they have the right to take what belongs to other people. They think that they have the right 
to conquer other countries without discrimination and simply rule over the balance of the globe. They are terrible and dreadful and their judgment and dignity proceed from, this, from within. Now, or from themselves. Are there people like that alive today? Is there a group of people that think that they have the right to tell the rest of the world how they are to live? Now, I'll give you some hints. I'm not going to say any names, but I'll give you their initials. George Soros. <laughs> Bill Gates. I mean, these people think that, that they have the right to tell the rest of us what we ought to think and believe and how we ought to live. Why? Because they have money. And they think, therefore, they have authority. Now, I love our country. Amen. I am a patriot through and through. I love this country. I think it's the greatest nation that has ever existed. And I am thankful to be in America. Now, I'm praying for a revival of the church. I'm praying for a great awakening in our country. Those are two different things, by the way. Only something that was once alive can be revived. That's speaking of the church. A great awakening is when dead people are made alive by Jesus himself. Now, I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for a great awakening. But I also recognize our country kills 3,000 innocent human beings every single day. Every single day, 3,000 unborn children are aborted. Not blobs of tissue. Children are aborted every single day. Fox News reported on June 22, 2019, the United States is again ranked as one of the worst countries in the world for human trafficking. According to a recently released report by the State Department, the top three nations of origin for victims of human trafficking, thus sex trafficking in 2018, were the United States, Mexico, and the Philippines. The article went on to say, the United States is the number one consumer of sex worldwide, so we are driving the demand as a society. The Canadian Business Journal at the same time frame reported this, 89% of all pornographic materials are made and distributed by who? The United States. This isn't where we started as a country, but it is where we are now. Is this acceptable to God? Should it be acceptable to us? Absolutely not. Now, I believe that the only reason that the Antichrist has not risen to power and the Babylonian system has not taken over is because the church is still here. And that is why God is not, has not biblically allowed this man, the lawless one, to rise to power. They cannot rise to power until we are taken out of the way. Yet we have to remember, in light of these things, even when everything is failing around us, the Lord is still our strength, and we can still rejoice in Him. We are still to be the salt and light of the United States of America, even as things grow darker and darker by the hour, and we move toward becoming a participant in the final world system after the church is taken out of the way. Now, let's flip back over to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, the prophet then says, or prior to that says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart 
and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it might actually happen. No, it will what? Surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Here's the most quoted passage in the New Testament from the Old. But the just shall live by what? His faith. Now Habakkuk's opening statement about seeing how he will be answered is in regard to the end of chapter 1. He said to the Lord, aren't you the Holy One from everlasting? Haven't you appointed the wicked for judgment and correction? And then he says this to the Lord in 113, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and you cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? The prophet goes on to say, listen, Babylon's catching people like fish and they rejoice and they are glad in it and they are burning incense and making sacrifices to their net and they are growing rich off other people's poverty. Sounds like democratic socialism to me. Now, 117, the prophet goes on to say, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without what? Without pity. Habakkuk was not ignorant nor indifferent to how the world was changing around him. And now Babylon was a growing force to be reckoned with as they consumed nation after nation, even as the Antichrist will do during the tribulation. And the Lord's reply to Habakkuk was, son, you better listen or you better remember who you're talking to. No, that's not what he said. The Lord said, Habakkuk, write down what I'm telling you. Write it down and make it clear so people can understand it. It's going to happen, maybe not today, but it is going to come to pass. And then he says, the soul of the proud is not pleasant or prosperous within them, but the just shall live by his faith. Now here's what you and I need to glean from what the prophet Habakkuk writes about his own nation. Listen this morning, when all else fails or when the world is falling apart, faith in God's word will never be regretted. When all else fails, faith in God's word will never be regretted. Now there will be times in the course of history, such as the one we are in, where the Bible is disparaged and demeaned and its followers are despised and rejected just like Jesus. But the fact is no one who has chosen to live by God's word and by that allowed him to direct their steps is ever going to regret having chosen to live according to the word of God. The just shall live by faith even in a season where they are surrounded by the faithless. The Lord told Habakkuk, People need to know what's coming. And the phrase that he may run who reads it is a reference to the herald of the day who would run from city to city as a messenger carrying a document of important news. In other words, God wanted his prophetic revelation to be made known to the world. But in it, he said, it might take some time to be fulfilled, but rest assured, it's going to happen. It will surely come to pass. 
Now, Peter writes a parallel passage to us as the church in 3, 1 to 7, where he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by who? The holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And Peter adds this, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed did what? Perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The prophetic revelation of God is scoffed at today, both in and outside of the church. But this is what they seem to forget, that God once has already dealt with a collective rebellion of humankind and he promised he was going to do it again, though the second time it wouldn't be by flooding the earth and covering it with water, but rather it would be by the purification of fire. And yet, even as we see the Babylonian empire on the horizon as Habakkuk did, people today are saying, ah, all that prophetic stuff is nonsense. You know, there was even pastors who have gone as far to say that you need to beware of any pastor who teaches Bible prophecy. Now that's like saying you need to beware of any pastor who teaches the whole counsel of God because out of the uh, 32,000 verses in the Bible, 8,100 are related to Bible prophecy. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. So why would we ignore over 25% of the word of God? The Lord wants his prophetic revelation to be made known. Are you here this morning? Now, People are saying today, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with a God who would judge the world. I'm not willing to believe in someone like that. And in essence, people are saying, even as they did in Habakkuk's day, I only want to believe in someone who lets me do whatever I want to do. Who only allows me to believe whatever I want to believe. Any God who doesn't do what I want is not a God I'm interested in, and therefore I don't need to be worried about impending judgment. Now, this is also part of what it was like in the days of Noah. You have to remember that in Noah's day, a mist came up from the earth and watered the earth. And yet we're told that over a century, Noah built a boat on dry land on a planet where it had never rained, and he preached righteousness the whole time. And remember, Hundreds of thousands of people crowded to get on the boat when the rain started. That's in second opinion somewhere. That's not in the Bible. How many got on the boat with Noah? Eight people. And Jesus himself said, that's what it's going to be like at the end. Signs of impending judgment. The rise of Babylon is all around us. And yet people will have no mind for it. And Luke 18, 7 and 8, the Lord said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith 
on the earth. Well, Habakkuk says the just shall live by his faith. And there will be those living by faith when the Son of Man comes and they will never regret their decision to live according to the word of God. That's where you say. Now let's look at 3, 2 and we'll wrap up our time together. Then the prophet says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. He's praying for revival. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember what? Mercy. He had heard how God was going to chasten Judah through the Babylonians. The Lord had told him what he was going to do to the Babylonians for chastening Judah and destroying Jerusalem and his temple. And Habakkuk does what we're all doing, asking God for mercy even in the midst of his prophesied wrath. He asked the Lord of two things, revive his work in his day, which is the meaning of in the midst of years during his lifetime. He pleads that within the promised wrath that God would remember his mercy. And again, the parallels with our day are significant for we live in a time where God's judgment is not just justified, it's looming and it's evident that it is coming soon. And we also know that in the time of God's wrath, he is going to be merciful, saving millions during the tribulation period. Revelation 7, 9 to 14 says, After these things, I, John speaking, and looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, a sign of victory, and crying out loud, or crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around. Can you imagine this scene? All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? John said, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. People often ask the question during a Q&A time, will people be saved during the tribulation? And the, and the answer is an absolute yes. A numberless multitude is going to be saved during the tribulation and the means by which they will be saved is the same means by which we are saved. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now this presents to us one of those dichotomies. In wrath, remember mercy. Can God be a God of wrath and be merciful simultaneously? Well, of course he can. Can he be a God of love and a God of justice simultaneously? He has to be. And we live in a time where many define love as accepting anything someone thinks or feels. Yet because we are Christians, and because we are Christians, we believe all of God's word. Because we are Christians, we believe all of God's word. And that he is the authority over all creation. We believe that there are unchanging moral absolutes that are the divine definitions of right and wrong. And for this, we're called bigoted haters who are intolerant. Now, is love accepting everyone and everything as they are and not holding to any moral standard for all humankind? Is that what love actually is? 
Try parenting that way and see how far that'll get you. And we do warn our children. We do discipline our children, right? Why? Because we love them. Jesus said this at the Last Supper to his disciples. If you love me, keep all the commandments you agree with. Keep what? My commandments. Now listen close. Five verses before he made that statement, he said, I and the Father are one. Philip said to him, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. He said, Phil, have I been with you so long that you don't know he who has seen the Father has seen me? I and the Father, he has seen me and seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And you know what that means? That means the commandments of the Father and the commandments of the Son are the same commandments. And John the Beloved, who was among those who were seated at the table in John 14, later wrote this. For this is the love of God. This means this is how you love God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, keeping God's commands are not a burden. They are a blessing. It is how you live a blessed life. Imagine what our world would be like if people kept the commandments of God. Imagine if nobody ever lied. What would the media do for a living? Imagine if no one ever committed adultery. Imagine if nobody ever stole anything. Imagine if people didn't have graven images. Imagine if people remembered the Sabbath and kept it holy. Sabbath in the sense of entering the rest of God. Imagine if they didn't have other gods before him. Imagine if they honored their parents. Imagine if people didn't covet. Would our world be a different place than it is today? Would it be more of a blessing or a burden? We would live in a blessed life and planet. If people lived according to the word of God, this is what, or the commandments of God, this is what John is saying. The commandments of God are not burdensome. Now John makes a crucial point for our understanding. Those who love God will not find his commandments to be a burden. Now, we may not always do the best at keeping the commandments of God. Thank you for one honest brother out there who got on the boat with me. Come on, we may not always do the best at keeping the commandments of God. But listen, when we break them, we don't try to redefine them to allow for our behavior. We repent of the ways that we have erred against him. <laughs> Habakkuk knows that what was going to happen to Judah was justified. And that what was going to happen to Babylon would be God's wrath. So we ask God for mercy as he poured out his wrath on Judah and the Babylonians. Now, here's our final truth for today. Listen, when all else fails or when everything is falling apart around us, we must not be silent about what we know is coming. We must not be silent about what we know is coming. The world is falling apart. But we also need to remember when the world is falling apart, things are prophetically falling into place because God said the world would fall apart and this would make the way for the tribulation period and thus his second coming or return to the earth. Now here's a reminder for us all from the book of Ezekiel in 33, 7 to 9, the Lord said to the prophet, so you son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. 
and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now Habakkuk was upset about how things were digressing in his country and how the judgment of God was looming on the horizon. Babylon was rising to power. He reasoned with the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord. And then he called on the Lord to be merciful as he executed his wrath. Ezekiel was made a watchman on the wall for the house of Israel. And he was to or he was then warned of the consequences of not warning others of what was coming. Habakkuk was given the same type of commission when he was told to write it down and run it out to others that they can hear and heed that which I have spoken to you. Now we have the same admonition by the Apostle Paul again in Colossians chapter 1, 28 to 29, where Paul says, him we preach. What's the next word? Warning. Every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man. That gives us the scope of our mission field. Perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That last phrase is such an important sentence because it reminds us that while all that we do is by the power of Almighty God, we still have to include our efforts and get off the couch and go get it done ourselves. Thank you for that. I'll accept the pause and the response, but God wants to use us. But we have to cooperate with that divine power. Paul was striving, that's human effort. He was putting forth human effort that was met with divine power that every man might be made perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's goal. He warned every man, he taught every man, in hopes of presenting every man perfect in Christ. Listen, it's not easy to be a watchman on the wall when people are trying to tear the wall down. And that's the season of history in which we now live. Paul said warning and teaching others is going to require striving, especially in a time where all else is failing in our world except for one thing, and that is that God's word never fails. It will not return void. It will come to pass, even in a season where we're waiting for it, it will surely come to pass. Now, I believe that we are on the cusp of the tribulation. And therefore, if the tribulation is close, the rapture is even closer. I also believe that the pre-tribulation rapture position is the only viable biblical position because the whole seven-year tribulation is God's wrath. It's not just half of it. All of it is God's wrath. And therefore, since 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation or deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord, we won't be here for any of the tribulation period. Besides the fact that 2 Thessalonians 2 says the lawless one cannot be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. And the first thing that happens when the seven seals are opened in Revelation chapter 6 is the lawless one is revealed. The rider on the white horse comes and deceives the world with his false diplomacy. So I believe that the tribulation is at hand and therefore the rapture is at the door. We'll be taken out of here in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. But listen, 
with this foreknowledge that we have of what's coming, we need to warn other people. We need to let them know. Yeah, but they'll think I'm stupid or they'll think I'm weird. Probably already do. (laughs) Because you're a Christian. Don't they think we're a bunch of mindless fools because we follow Christ, some invisible being out there somewhere in the stratosphere or the heavens somewhere? They think we're foolish anyway. But let me tell you something. When you tell somebody, hey, listen, some guy's going to rise to power out of Western Europe and he's going to demand that the whole world receive a mark on their hand or forehead, which somehow interacts with a device that allows them to conduct commerce, be it at the grocery store or conduct their business. And this man is the Antichrist. And the Bible says if you take that mark, you're destined for hell. But if you don't take the mark, he's going to kill you by lopping off your head. You start talking about those kind of things, they're going to laugh at you now, but when it happens, you're not going to be laughing anymore. They're going to be thinking about, hey, wait a minute, what was the rest of that stuff that person told me? They said that I had to believe in Christ in order to be saved. They said that all kinds of people are going to be saved during the tribulation period. Do you see how important the message is that we have? If we are living at the time where our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, people all around us are going to go into the tribulation, shouldn't we tell them what's going to happen during it? Hello? Shouldn't we tell them what's going to happen during it? Absolutely. And let them think we're kooks. So what? They thought Jesus was a kook. They thought he'd lost his mind. They said he was of the devil. They despised and rejected him. They said what he did was some type of hoax. They said he didn't actually die. He passed out from the loss of blood. The coolness of the tomb actually woke him. The disciples came and stole his body. There was no resurrection. They've been lying about us since the days that Jesus walked the earth. So it's not going to be any different when we tell people the truth today. But Paul said we need to strive to warn people. And we need to be warning them today. And we need also to remember the words of Lamentations 3.22 to 25, which includes a, a verse we all know. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Great is your, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Now listen, the Lord is good to those, there's a qualifier, to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. We need to tell people, hey, listen, there's going to be a mass disappearance of people. Who knows how the world is going to try and explain it? Isn't it interesting that there's a lot of uh, rhetoric today about aliens and you know, the government is finally going to release what's been going on at Area 51 and all their alien uh, footage that they have of aircraft and things of that nature. Maybe that's going to be how they try and explain away the rapture. The New Age movement has been talking about a cosmic cleansing for decades that the undesirables are going to be removed from the earth so we can finally move ahead in this utopian society that we're all seeking. They're going to offer explanations, but if we tell somebody, hey, you know what? If you come over to my house and I'm not there, but everything I own is still there, and all the other Christians and the the Bible teaching churches are empty, if you see that happen, here's what's coming next. And you need to be saved from the midst of it. It's going to be a difficult time on the earth to be sure, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And through his mercies, 
we are not consumed. God is good. Amen? And He has told us all the things we need to know for life in such a time as this. And listen, everything's failing around us just like the Bible said it would. But even as Habakkuk said, major economic downturn, I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. He told us it's going to be tough near the end. Perilous times would come, and they're here, right? Men are lovers of themselves, bolsters proud, kids are disobedient to parents. All these other things that he described in 2 Timothy 3, chapter, or verses 1 through 5, are happening today. There are traitors with us. The headstrong and the haughty, they're with us, right? All these things are taking place. And Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption is nigh. Babylon is on the rise. Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour of low expectation. Somebody say amen. amen. And Father, we are grateful for your matchless word this morning. Thank you that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And thank you that you have prepared us by reminding us we are not of the night nor of the darkness and the things coming won't take us by surprise. Nor will we enter into the time of tribulation like the world has never seen. So Lord, help us to do as Paul admonished us to do and said he did himself. Help us to strive to warn, to teach every man that they might be presented perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. Help us to that, Lord, for there are many things that are vying for our attention today, and including for many, Lord, that uh, how ends are going to be met and how provision is going to come. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless and strengthen your church and provide for us. Lord, you said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. So we thank you, Lord, for that exceedingly great and precious promise. So, Lord, I pray over the households that are struggling. I pray that you would work what only you can do, work miracles on their behalf. So, Lord, we thank you that you are a present help in time of need, including the one we're in. But help us to be faithful in light of all you've done for us. And even when things are lean, that we would rejoice in the Lord, the God of our salvation. Thank you for our time and your matchless word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.